All right. Well, open up to Acts chapter 11. Uh, We're going to spend time this morning beginning in verse 19 through verse 26. Uh, We are continuing in our series in the book of Acts. We will remain now in Acts for the next many weeks, uh, really up until Advent. Uh, And so you can look forward to that today as we complete chapter 11. It's really a turning point for us as we navigate through the historical reality of the birth of the church to now what we're finding is the gospel is not just for the Jew, it's to the Gentile, from the Gentile to the ends of the earth. And last week or a couple weeks ago when we considered uh, Peter's ministry to Cornelius and his family, the first family in Caesarea Maritime who received the good news of Jesus were saved and indwelt by the Spirit of God. We now have the Gentiles available to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Lives are being changed, and uh, God's mission goes forward. Today, we're going to look at how that mission continued to go forward through the birth of the Gentile church in Antioch of Syria. So remember, the church was birthed in Jerusalem with a bunch of Jewish people. We now have the birth of another church in Antioch of Syria to the Gentile people, collectively, Jew and Gentile alike, now make up the church of God and the mission of God goes forward. So with that introduction, let's take a moment and pray us in for our time of study. God, thank you for this opportunity to open the word of God once again, to be encouraged by the word as followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, we understand that as the church, we are part of the family of God. And as a family of God, we have great privilege, but also great responsibility. A great responsibility to live a life of holiness and a great responsibility to live a life of love and service to others as we share the good news about Jesus with all people. Encourage us today through your Holy Spirit and the Word of God to live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to you. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I want to give you a little bit more context before we read this. Remember, Peter was sent to Caesarea by invitation of the Holy Spirit and some men who went were sent from Cornelius to share the gospel with Cornelius' friends and family. Peter shows up with six others with him, six men who accompanied him to witness what in the world was going on. As Peter shared the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, The people in Cornelius' household believed, and after believing, they received the Spirit of God. But why is it important that Peter took with him six witnesses? Well, because within the church and within Judaism, it was required that there be seven witnesses to testify to that which is true. Peter, along with these six men, became the seven witnesses to testify of God's movement in and through the lives of the Gentiles. We now pick up at the middle of chapter 11 with verse 19. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, 
Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. However, some of the believers went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene and began preaching to Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large, large crowds of people. It was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. The church is now a growing church. From the birth of the church to the church on the rise, we're introduced once again to this man named Saul, who was a persecutor of Christians, but is now a preacher of the gospel. If you remember Saul, he was that man who was going to Damascus to persecute Christians, and Jesus showed up and changed his life dramatically and radically forever. He went into Damascus, preached about Jesus changing his life and how the good news can change your life. He was persecuted and went to a wilderness journey for three years back to Damascus. In Damascus, he was persecuted and sent to Jerusalem. When he got to Jerusalem, he was rejected by the Christians there. But there was this man named Barnabas who kind of took him under his wing and said, hey, come with me. Introduced him to the apostles for the next 14 days. He hung out with them, preaching, and then got persecuted, and they sent him to Caesarea Maritime, the North Shore, 35, 40 miles up, and then to his hometown of Tarsus. Are you tracking with me? Ten years later, Saul's on the scene. The church is on the grow. The church is growing both deep and wide. How many of you grew up in church singing that song, deep and wide? Deep? Okay, I'm not going to sing anymore. For those of you that don't have any idea what I'm talking about, just know there's a song called Deep and Wide, and we talk about the fountains that are flowing deep and wide and all this stuff, right? But as the church is growing today, one of my great concerns is that there's a lot of churches with a lot of people that are growing really, really wide. But the depth of the church is really, really shallow. And one of the things that we can do today by looking at this historical account of the growth of the church is we can take note of how the church in Antioch grew both deep and wide, and consider how we guard that within our own church to make sure that we too are a church that just doesn't grow wide and shallow, but that we grow deep and wide together. See, many of the first disciples, they had been given opportunities to share the gospel with non-Jews before this. If you remember, Philip shared with the Ethiopian, Peter preached to Cornelius and his family, and Paul began preaching to the Hellenistic Jews or those who were living in Greek communities all over the known world. 
Beyond the efforts of the disciples, Christ's followers who fled persecution in Jerusalem, they shared their faith in Christ with those wherever they settled, outside of Jerusalem. When many Gentiles came to know Jesus Christ as Savior, the Jerusalem church had a habit of sending out their leaders to verify that what had happened was legit. And this is exactly what they did with Barnabas going to Antioch. All these people in Antioch of Syria were becoming Christians, and the leaders in Jerusalem were like, what is going on? Let's check it out. They send Barnabas. Barnabas checks it out. He's rejoicing over what's going on, how people are truly coming to faith in Christ. Barnabas realizes that it's now time to plant a church and begin teaching them the Word of God. So he sends for Saul to join him. At this point, it's Barnabas and Saul, but soon we will find that it becomes Paul and Barnabas. The church in Antioch would become a missionary church, a sending church to both Paul and Barnabas as they go out on their numerous missionary journeys, planting churches and sharing the good news about Jesus. As the Christians were scattered abroad because of Saul's earlier persecution, who Saul now is a preacher, what we find is that some of these who fled Jerusalem ended up in Antioch. And I want to tell you a little bit about Antioch of Syria because there was 16 Antiochs in the known ancient world. This is one of them. Antioch of Syria happened to be the capital of Syria, located about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, population of about half a million people. It ranked as the third largest city in all of the Roman Empire next to Rome and Alexandria. Because of its magnificent buildings in architecture, because of all the things that they had to offer, people flocked to Antioch and it became known as the Queen of the East. The main street, get this, was more than four miles long. Impressive buildings, impressive architecture. The, 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 the roads were paved in marble, four and a half miles of paved marble roads. There was marble colonnades that lined the street. And Antioch of Syria was the only city in the ancient world that had its street lit up at night. When you think of this city, think of New York City today, a place where people from all over the world gather, a place that has a lot of money, a lot of opportunity, a day life and a night life, a lot of corruption, a lot of immorality, and a lot of opportunity for Jesus to come in and change lives. A busy port city, a center for luxury and culture, Antioch attracted all kinds of people. The city became a crossroads for culture with major highways to the north, south, and east. So who lived there? Greeks, Romans, Syrians, Phoenicians, Jews, Arabs, Egyptians, Africans, Indians, and Asians, they all populated Antioch, making this place remarkably diverse. 
Religiously, Antioch was considered to be pluralistic. It was also considered to be idolatrous. The people who lived in Antioch worshipped all kinds of different gods. Many viewed the city to be a very wicked place. But God viewed the city as an opportunity to plant a new church and change people's lives. It was John Stott who said, no more appropriate place could be imagined either as the venue for the first international church or as the springboard for the worldwide Christian mission than the city of Antioch. This is the place outside of Jerusalem where God set up the church to begin the global reach into all people groups of the world They were effective in not only sharing the gospel, but growing the church. So as we consider the church in Antioch today, let's consider how we can be like them. One of the things that I'm not going to do today, and I had considered doing, is kind of walking through how the purposes of the church are found in this last half of Acts chapter 11. I just want to mention them because it's worth noting if you want to take time to study this on your own, what you'll find is that the church came together for worship, the church came together for fellowship, the gathering together of the saints, the church came together in this text for discipleship, building people up in Christ, for the purpose of ministry, serving those in the church and those outside the church, and also for outreach or evangelism. The church in Antioch took very serious the need to not be internal, but to live external lives with the gospel. So today, as the church in Antioch grows, I want us to consider how we can grow like them. And the first way we can do that is that the church grows larger when we share the good news of Jesus with all people. In verses 19 to 21, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene, began preaching to Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of the Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. You recognize how God was at work through this church? These Greeks not only believed in the claims about Christ, but they believed Jesus to be their Savior and their Lord, and they committed their lives to following him. There became an external evidence of a changed life that began from the inside through the work of the Holy Spirit that was now seen on the outside. In Antioch, lives of those people were being changed. And as their lives were changed, they were sharing the good news that changed the lives of others. See, Luke traced the spread of the gospel from this small band of Jews in Jerusalem to now what we see as a multi-ethnic faith that is reaching far and wide and is impacting the entire world Not just the Jews are being saved, but now the Gentiles. Everybody is hearing the good news. 
Let me pause for a moment and remind you. It is our job as a church to share the good news about Jesus with all people, not just some people. Not the people who look like us, who talk like us, who think like us or act like us. Not just with the people we're comfortable with. Not with people who we know will accept our message or accept the Jesus we share. We are even called to bring the gospel to our enemies. Have you ever thought about that person in your life who you really know is far from God and you really don't want to bring the gospel to? I mean, you just wrote him off. God could never change that person, and if he did, I wouldn't know what to do with them anyways. God wants to change that person and likely wants to change that person through you. I want you to consider for a moment the life of an Old Testament guy named Jonah. Man, Jonah, he was one of those prophets who was swallowed by a big fish. The only one who was swallowed by a big fish that I know of. But you know, Jonah was given a job by God. He said, Jonah, I want you to go to a city called Nineveh, and I want you to preach to them a message of repentance. Because I want to extend my mercy and my grace to them, and I want them to have a changed heart. You know what Jonah did? Rather than saying, yes, awesome, I'll take that assignment and bring the good news with me. He ran from God and in the opposite direction of Nineveh, and he got onto a boat to get away from the land, to get away from Nineveh. Well, God sent this big fish and swallowed him up, and for three days he hung out in this belly, I'm sure, having a lot of great conversation with God about how God wants to like really send him to Nineveh, right? This fish spits him out on dry land, and he goes to Nineveh with a bad attitude and a bad heart towards these people because they were his enemy. The people in Nineveh were Assyrians who had taken captive the northern tribe of Israel and basically wiped them off the face of the earth. And Jonah knew that even if they were his enemies... And he preached a message of repentance that God's mercy and grace could actually save them and change them if they would repent of their sin. And he did, and God did. But honestly, Jonah was more loyal to the people of God than to the God of all people. I hope you heard that. Jonah was more loyal to the people of God than to the God of all people. That's why he ran from God. That's why he ran from Nineveh. He wasn't interested in making a difference in those people's lives. God loves our enemies, and he wants us to bring a good news message to them. Have you ever been the subject of bad judgment by a Christian? 
You know, when I grew up, I grew up going to county fairs, and then Gwen and I, we've taken our kids to county fairs, and it's inevitable. County fairs and other places like that usually have um, Christian tables set up with people assigned to hand out gospel tracts so that people can get introduced to Jesus. And, and, and it's funny because I can be in a group passing by this table, and for some reason, I'm like the one that gets singled out almost unanimously all the time. Like they just weave through the crowd and make sure to get that gospel tract right in my hand. Here, sir, God loves you. You need to know that. Right away, I was like, but I'm a pastor. I already know that. Don't you know? (laughs) And then I was like, man, I got to stop being so offended by that. And I got to realize that they're being obedient to God by searching out people who need to hear the gospel that aren't like them. It made me realize that maybe I'm not like everybody else. Do I really look that different? (laughs) You know what I love? When you you need to introduce me as your pastor. (laughs) Um, This this is my pastor. Who? (laughs) But it's an odd feeling. Yet rather than being upset about their judgment towards me because I'm different than them on the outside, it's my job to help them realize that I'm just like them on the inside. I'm on their team. And I am finding joy now in my heart out of their obedience to share the gospel with somebody like me who looks different than them. So if you're here today and you feel like you're judged by the person next to you, You are not. They probably don't know you or your story. But let me say this. If they approach you to share Jesus with you, don't be offended by that. Be grateful for that. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, it says, but how can they tell, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. How beautiful are your feet? I don't mean your feet. I think feet are ugly. I bet yours are too. (laughs) I mean, are your feet beautiful because the places you go, you're bringing the good news of Jesus? Did you know that we have an opportunity as a church to do a worship experience on a regular basis inside the Douglas County Jail? And beginning on October, we are. We're going to meet with those who are in jail, believers and non-believers alike, to introduce them to Jesus and encourage those who are believers sitting in jail. Their worship experience where we're going to worship God through song and receive the teaching of the word and have communion with those who are following Christ. How cool is that? Bringing the gospel to people who may or may not be just like us. We need to learn to be comfortable with people who might not be like us and make sure that all people hear about Jesus. And let me tell you this, in case you're a new believer, 
that your life got worse after you met Jesus, that's expected. So be encouraged. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a bit. But the second thing is that the church grows stronger when we encourage one another in the faith. Beginning in verse 22, when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in the faith. Many people were brought to the Lord. See, the news, the news of the church in Antioch growing by membership because people are coming to faith in Christ, hit Jerusalem, and Jerusalem sends Barnabas to check out what in the world's going on. Barnabas went to investigate, which was certainly a pattern of the church in Jerusalem, but what he discovered, rather than coming to correct a bunch of people, I'm going to celebrate with great joy what's going on and ask it to continue and continue and continue. A culture clash of people who are now worshiping God, who look different, who act different, who think different, are all being invited into the family of God and being changed by the message of Christ and through the Holy Spirit that's in them. We got to learn to be comfortable with people who are not like us. I was getting a kick out of it. I, I, I own a motorcycle. My dad gifted it to me because he doesn't ride it anymore. And a couple years ago, some of the pipes broke, and so I put some louder ones on. <laughs> it's really cool. And, and, and one of the things I love to do is sit at a stoplight and kind of rev it a little bit because it talks back. like. And, and, and there was a time where I was sitting at the stoplight, and I had my helmet on and sunglasses. I had a face mask to cover my beard and a jacket, and, and I'm at the light, and I'm like, and this mom with her kids are in the van next to me, right? And she looks at me, and I'm like, and I look at her, and she like looks down and, and, and she's like, kids, don't look at that guy. <laughs> Why? I wanted to be like, roll down the window. I'm a pastor. I'm safe. It's okay. <laughs> I don't see you here today if you, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't we do that sometimes? We treat others who are like us different than us because we think they're different than us, when in so many ways they're not. Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. So two things I want to show you in this passage. Number one is we should be like him. Be encouraged by that. Barnabas was one who seemingly accepted people. The text tells us he was a good man, which means he was just and righteous. He did what was right in the eyes of God because of who Christ was in him. The second thing it tells us is that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And you know what that's an indication of? That he was obedient to the Holy Spirit in his life and obedient to the word of God through his life. Because when we respond in obedience to the Spirit and to the word, we live holy lives. And it's then that we experience the filling of the Spirit And the fruit of the Spirit comes out of us. He was also a man who was strong in the faith. He believed God for who he was and what he could do for what he said he would do. He had no problem standing firm in that. And so should we. He encouraged the believers to stay true to the faith. So how do we do this? 
How do we do this? Well, if you're a new believer today, I want you to know there's two things that are critical to your Christian walk. The first is to know that the Holy Spirit of the living God lives in you permanently and has taken up residence to be your comfort, your encourager, your teacher, your leader, your guide through life. The second thing is, is that you need the Word of God in your life as the instruction manual for life so that you can learn to live God's standard of holiness for your life. So if you're a new believer today, just like those of us who have been in the faith a long time, we must rely on the Spirit of God and the Word of God all throughout our life. We need good theology. We need to be taught sound doctrine. That's why I stand up here week in and week out, along with our other pastors, to teach the Word of God. But we also need encouragement. Encouragement means that we need to understand how to put into practice the very things that we know to be true. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 5, it says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect the meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. See, the benefit of us spending time in fellowship with one another each and every week is that we can be encouraged by one another and we realize and recognize in those moments that we are truly better together. We need to be involved in one another's lives. We need to rely on one another for encouragement and for help through the Christian life. We need to engage one another and make sure that we see one another. So we're going to practice this today. We're going to practice seeing each other. I want you to just take a moment and get awkward with your neighbor and look at them and say, it is good to see you today. That's all I want you to do. Do that right now. Doesn't that feel good? Isn't it good to be seen? It's good to see others, but truly it's good to be seen, isn't it? We encourage one another when we make a phone call. You guys, this isn't hard. We just practice it right now. We make a phone call to a friend or to somebody who we see in church that we're like, whoa, I didn't think they'd ever be in church, but I'm going to call them this week. I'm not going to be like, I didn't think you would ever see you in church. Don't start like that. But just be like, hey, I saw you in church. It was really good to see you. How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Send them a note. Acknowledge them. Have a conversation with others. Be willing to pray for others. When we see potential in others, let's encourage them to live it out so that the church can be better together. Join a small group. Small groups exist for the fellowship and encouragement of the body of Christ so that we can do life together, so we can encourage one another, so we can support one another, so we can pray for one another, we get to know one another. If you're not in a small group, consider being in one. That's where real, real community life actually happens. Lastly, the church grows deeper. The church first grew wider, 
Then it grows stronger. Now we're growing deeper. The church grows deeper through the teaching of God's word. You see, so many people had come to faith in Christ. They needed to be taught. Verses 25 and 6, Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was in Antioch that believers there were first called Christians. They needed to be taught the word of God, and they needed to be taught what it meant to follow Christ. Teaching the word of God is so absolutely important to a healthy missional church. Barnabas realized that the the, the job was more than he could handle, and so he remembered Saul, and he set out for Saul, and Saul comes back highly educated, highly motivated. He's a great orator. He's a best debater. Can you imagine the dynamic duo? It's like having that really intelligent person plus that encourager be like, yeah, you talk, and then I encourage. You talk, and I encourage. You respond to that, and I'll encourage. This is how they lived, and this is how the church began to grow. New Christians, they not only needed to be taught, but they needed to be brought into the fellowship, and that's why they planted a church in Antioch. So it became official. They were now a body of believers who came together, learned together, fellowshiped together, ministered together, did life together. See, the word Christian. It was here that was first given to the believers. They were known by many things. But those who witnessed the life change around them used the Greek word for Christ and added the I-A-N-S, which simply means belonging to. A Christian is one who belongs to Christ. Teaching is a critical component of making disciples. Christians need to learn the Bible and how to apply the Bible, and we do that when we spend time together week in and week out. Corporate worship with the focal point being the teaching and preaching of the Word of God is absolutely critical to a healthy missional church, and we are committed to that here. We have three services, Sunday school in between, I want you to see the church not as a one-hour Sunday morning reality for your family, but a Sunday morning opportunity where you can worship together as the body of Christ, including bringing your kids, and then go to Sunday school or participate or serve for another hour. My kids can't sit through a 30, 40-minute sermon. You might feel that way, but you'd be amazed what God can do through His Holy Spirit. We got to believe that. Rather than hearing me, I hope you hear the word of God preached. Sadly, kids can go through their whole childhood never stepping foot in a big church because they're stuck in programs all throughout their life. And then they leave the church and go to college, and we wonder why don't they go to church? Because they're looking for a program, they're not looking for a fellowship of believers. It's a shift we need to make. These programs are important and we're not going to stop them. But being together in big church is important for the whole family. I'd encourage you to make that commitment. A growing church is one that is committed to going further on mission by sharing Jesus with all people.
and going deeper in Christ by encouraging one another, by spending time together in the Word of God under the teaching of the Word of God, and by serving people both inside and outside the church. That's God's call for us. As we grow as a church family, my hope and my prayer is that as we get wider, we also go deeper. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, help us to be committed followers of you, Jesus. We'll stand firm in our faith as we grow stronger and deeper in Christ. Help us to be willing to make Jesus known, not only in our community, but around the world. We desire through the Holy Spirit's presence and the Spirit's power at work in us to shine the light of the gospel into this dark world as we desire to win others to you. In Christ's name, amen.